0: I am Giuseppe.
1: Hi, I'm Anthony. And this is For the Love of Sophia, a philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project.
0: If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, please follow us on Twitter.
1: Enjoy the ride.
0: This episode is a, is a good one, isn't it? It's it's about God. Yeah. Um, so, where do we even begin? <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate question, right? That is? Uh, is there a God? And what would be the implication of this answer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we could, maybe we could start by saying that regardless of what we believe, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, which is not as important. Um, the way we will explore this is probably by, you know, assuming one way or the other, trying to figure out if it's possible to know, right? I think that's makes more sense. than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I don't know if you agree with this. That the idea is that we this discussion has not necessarily much to do with. Uh, the belief aspect of it, right? I think that philosophically, I would say that everyone is allowed to believe with or without proof mm-hmm. in the existence or not existence of God. That the problem becomes the problem becomes a truly philosophical problem when we start we try to understand if there is a ground mm-hmm. to believe it within reason. Do you mm-hmm. agree with that? Yeah. Or, uh, because if we if we stay in the level of the belief, right, just simple belief, mm-hmm. simple faith, then it's not a true philosophical issue, right?
1: Yeah, because then it becomes the supernatural yes. rather than the natural. And so I guess our task is to see if and how it is reasonably possible for there to be something like a god, however that is defined. Yes. Is that right?
0: Yeah, perhaps I would say so.
1: So I always think the question is difficult. Very. Because when you ask someone, is there a blank? Is there an X? You have to already be working with some definition of X. And in the case of God, it's a little muddy. (laughs) To say the least. right? Right, because in order to answer the question, is there a God, you have to first... Assume one particular definition of God. And I suppose you also have to presuppose that definition, even if you're asking the question. So, I don't know. Is there one general definition that's good enough?
0: For God? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Because usually when you hear this question, they mean the Judeo-Christian God, yes. right?
0: But that's kind of a limiting question, right? Well, the, especially and even the way we pose, right, is there a God, right? Mm, that's true. Why didn't we ask, are there, are there any gods, right? Mm. Because the frame is already the one of the monotheistic religion, right? Yeah. From our perspective of Westerners, um, which I think we could kind of, we can work with the frame. Uh, but I wonder though, if you were asking what could be a general definition Yeah. of it, um, and we can go with the anthropological definition, right, of, uh, of this being that is somewhat, somehow in control of either the entire universe or part of the universe, uh, in control in different ways, or mm-hmm. is created, or or is in control of
1: a yeah, part I, of it. I suppose I was thinking creation more okay. than control. Okay. Like, was there a first creator, right, or a first cause of some sort?
0: Okay. Oh. Well, that's that's even more limiting, isn't it? Because it, a hmm. god, technically, again, Zeus or Poseidon, right? Or, I don't know, Ades, those guys were gods, right? But they didn't create yeah. anything, and they were not even in control of the whole thing. They were in control of parts of it, like mm. right? one of the sky, one of the, at the sea, and the other one yeah, I suppose I've written
1: that off. <laughs> another...
0: It's not true, right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not even a question, right? Yeah. That's funny because, it, should we write that off? Well, because those are mythologies now, right? Those are myths. It's yes, not so, real religion. It's myths. So I
1: think to the extent that there are these ultra-specific stories and narratives, we could brush that aside. Okay. Right? And try to figure out what's the defining
0: characteristic of gods. Are we, are we brushing off the Bible as well and the Quran and those things? Because they're ultra-specific narratives as well, aren't they?
1: Well, what is the one thing that all these ultra-specific narratives have in common? Oh, so
0: the, the existence of a supreme being, more or less supreme. Okay, and what well, makes them supreme? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fact that they have some sort of control over stuff. I, I think the, the control aspect is there even more than the. The control is common. The creation is specific to the monotheistic ones. Hmm. Okay, and not even all of them. Um, That's pretty interesting because I yeah I, I wouldn't have thought that um, because I think that the the control aspect the the Christian God the uh, the, the, the Islamic God the Indian gods mm-hmm. the, the the Greek gods all the the Egyptian gods all those gods they all have some control over again, a part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But not all of them are created. That is a good point.
1: This thing. So do you want to deal with each one specifically? Like maybe we talk about the control aspect? Sure. And then the creative aspect? Up to you, up to you. Sure, okay, so is there a thing or a set of things that has some kind of control over what happens in the universe? Is that right?
0: Yeah, that would be- Conscious control. Yeah. <laughs> to go back yeah. to, to one of the episodes before, right? Um, well, is there? Is there. Could there be? There definitely is. The problem is, is it this... Is, it, is this... Well, you said conscious, so I have to say, well, there's, there's definitely something that's control. Sure, over
1: us. there's a natural order,
0: yeah, exactly. If yeah. you want, right? So, nature is in control, if you want to call it that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the the other thing that seems to be common to all those things is not only they have control, but they have human like control of things, mm. somewhat, right? Even the Egyptian gods, which are you know, uh, animals, right? They have the shape of animals, but they think, so to speak. They, they do things in a man-like way. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that
1: an incorrect characterization for humans to make? Like, are we anthropomorphizing the concept of God? I don't know if it's correct or incorrect, but we're definitely doing this. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I would agree that there's some kind of natural order. Okay. Um, because it seems like nature isn't capricious. I, I don't think things are... I mean, in one sense, it's random, but it's not actually random, right? Because it's all happening in accordance with specific
0: principles. It is, it is a system that, which the parts are in relation with each mm-hmm. other. Therefore, is not capricious. They need to, in order for the system to hold.
1: It seems like there's a uniformity of nature. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so the question is, do we think that this controlling force counts as a god or not?
0: Oh. Uh, Well, Spinoza would say yes, right? That's true. Uh, Some philosophers have said that, you know, this idea of pantheism, that God is everywhere and is everything, Mm -hmm. so to speak, or either one or many, but they're everywhere, and they're one with this thing that we call nature. Uh, There's a way of looking at it, Uh, and I think some, I'm not very familiar, but I think that some uh, form of Hinduism Mm. or better, animism, uh, still believes that. Um, And that's reasonable to believe somewhat. I can see how the appeal of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder, though, if that is not a pure way of just seriously anthropomorphize
1: stuff, right? It might be. I mean, the Spinoza stuff is interesting to just say, oh, well, there's one substance that composes everything, and I call this substance God. If you want to call it God,
0: that's fine. But Spinoza's example, I think it's very interesting because he says mm. um, God or nature, right? Mm. Because he says Deus Sive Natura. So is there God or nature, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but It is one thing, right? And he has this idea that's, I mean, it's not coincidence that the Jewish Persecuted him mm. and everyone persecuted him because he wasn't an orthodox, right? He was the guy yeah. that, that was saying, "Well, there is this thing, and either we love everything or we hate everything. If we want to be coherent, we cannot pick and choose because we're there's everything is one." Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm super generalizing Spinoza's ideas, but I think that um, it is interesting if we think of that as God. I think that's reasonable. Again, sure. The issue is now. Because this is the thing that's in control. If you look at things from the control perspective, right? The issue is, is this conscious control? Is this control, is human-like control? And I would probably say no to that
1: one. Mm. It doesn't seem human-like.
0: Why? What do you think is the difference?
1: Because it doesn't seem like there's intention.
0: Mm. How do we know that,
1: though?
0: It's funny I'm taking the religious part here. (laughs) You do
1: this. Um, We can't know it. Okay. But it seems like it'd be reasonable to believe that there isn't intention because intention requires some kind of conscious state and there doesn't <laughs> seem to be anything in the universe at large which points to one
0: conscious state. So there's no Mother Nature thing? <laughs>
1: I don't know, maybe there is.
0: Uh, no, but I, I understand what you mean understand what you mean well would that though bar us from believing in god philosophically that's a good question
1: it would it would bar us from believing in god defined in one
0: way which Which is why this question is so hard yes so definitely the god intended as this natural omnipresent controlling force Mm -hmm. like blind force yeah the moment we make it into a human-like thing that's not justifiable seems or like justified that. at least it seems that we're, we're going here yeah so maybe this this is the reason why those those religions are not fancy anymore kind of not. Maybe. Because, because you know we couldn't justify this and this is why we abandon polyistic religions and things like that and we move towards this more creationist narrative
1: yeah I'm thinking I don't like uh, Richard Dawkins, but I think Dawkins just called pantheism "sexy atheism" or <laughs> something like that. Oh boy! If that's the case, I'm definitely not a pantheist <laughs> anymore. So do you want to? Maybe we consider the creation side of it.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's why those those things didn't work because this idea of control wasn't enough. Yeah. And now we instead are navigating towards the creation aspect. And so, is
1: there a creator?
0: How, do, how can we make the argument for this, war against this?
1: Well, there is the first cause argument, right? which is that... So, so Aquinas, I think, makes two versions of this. His, many of his five ways are similar, but two are, are very similar. One says that all things are in motion, and all things that are in motion need to have been put in motion by something outside of it. And so, if you follow this chain all the way back, well, you have God that put everything in motion right mm-hmm. and similarly all things need a cause everything was caused by something but you can't have this infinitely according to Aquinas and so at the beginning there must have been one thing that caused everything else and we call that first cause
0: God mm-hmm. so we have two things that basically we're saying is to avoid this thing that's this infinite regress to something mm-hmm. we need to pose mm-hmm. a beginning of things right right something that makes this start and uh, and in both of these cases for the way I understand it especially in the first case this unmovable mover right so to speak is the god is outside this chain of movement that's mm. put in place uh, but he's the one that initiates it right and the second case is like the primal cause, the first cause of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How is that, though... How does it give us... How is, how is that proof of divinity?
1: I don't know if it proves divinity. It would prove something transcendent. Probably prove creation, though? It would... Hmm.
0: I mean... Because it's, those things are fine within a system that's already existing, right? Yeah. Because you set things in motion, but things in order to be set in motion need to be there already, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can cause things, but the things that you're causing somehow, those effects, there needs to be some material stuff in there, right? Where there is smoke, there well, is fire.
1: Well, maybe but- God created all of the conditions <laughs> for that. But those two proofs don't tell us anything about that. Hmm why not why not so motion I get why that wouldn't do it Mm -hmm. but why not causality more general
0: Uh, again let's make an example of causality okay Uh, we can go with Hume with the billiard balls or we Mm -hmm. can go with you know where there is smoke there is fire right smoke is caused by fire Mm -hmm. but in order for fire to exist what do we need the wood there something to you know, some kind of kindling stuff, mm-hmm. a lighter, some whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Those things need to be there in order. There's need there's the need for some raw material for causation to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Causation is not creation. Something is cause of something else.
1: Ah uh, so I think it would the, the answer would be God already existed. Okay. And God created things outside of him.
0: But those two things again that we mentioned don't prove us that.
1: Because you're saying in order for it to be caused, there needed to already exist a system in which things could be caused.
0: Exactly. And of this, these two proofs don't tell us anything.
1: Aha, uh-huh. okay. Well, let's examine his other proofs. <laughs> two down, three to go.
0: I i have thought of those things before, so...
1: What I thought you were going to take the Bertrand Russell position. Mm-hmm. Which is to say, well, who caused the first cause? Right?
0: Not, not not a fan of this guy of, of the guy, but I no, no I the, the thing for me is seriously, I mean, those things happen within a system, and those conditions are already there. Mm. And I understand you can tell me, well, God created those conditions, which is fine, yeah, but these two proofs don't tell me anything about that creation,
1: yeah, and even Plato knew that because in the Timaeus, the demiurge is creating the material realm based on the forms but the material realm already exists exactly yeah and he's just shaping things within it
0: exactly so it's making it's like which i think is not it's not a case that it's not by chance that even in genesis right Mm -hmm. god is manipulating mud to create man right Mm. it's already there it's just shaping it differently it's bringing it into life that's so there is this point. idea of making things but within already a system. Now the problem is if we define God just as the creator mm-hmm. or the controller, we seem to bump into those issues, right? Okay, creator, but you haven't said anything to me that, not you obviously, mm-hmm. in general, that proves this creation happening from scratch. You're telling me that with the system that's already there, well, God its the prime mover, is, you know... The final cause. The, the the the. Yeah, I'm trying to
1: think if there's a way out of this. That what someone can say, and the only thing I can think of is that God created the system from nothing.
0: Okay, but that's a statement, right? That's that's a, an axiom, if you want. Yeah. But that's not provable. At least not in those terms.
1: Right. So not from Aquinas' proofs. Okay. Well, what's another one of his proofs? He says. All existences are either necessary or contingent. Yes. Okay. Or aka dependent. And so everything that's in existence now is contingent. In other words, doesn't have to exist. Okay. You can imagine it not existing. Okay. Um, and what he says is, contingent existences can be caused by more primary contingent existences, but there has to be at least one necessary existence in the beginning. To cause the contingent existences. So
0: everything that exists is contingent, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and we know this because we all die, everything dies. And we can imagine. Everything disappears, and we can imagine this happening forever and ever and ever. But because things exist, there must be something than necessarily yes. exist. Yes. Okay, that escapes that issues that mm. we are talking about somehow the system because we're saying, well, the system is all contingent to the existence of this being, I guess, right? That's probably the most convincing of the ones that we have, mm-hmm. that we are examining today. Can we think of any problems uh, with that? I, I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, and you can take Russell's, Side here, right? Mm-hmm. What makes that? What, what is this? Why do we stop there? Mm-hmm. Why is that the one that we consider as non contingent and necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Why is that the case rather than somewhere else? Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I. What do you see?
1: Do you see any issues there? I mean, we might run into that issue, but I'm wondering if the response would just be, well, I'm not saying what that necessary thing is. I'm just saying that there has to be a, at least one necessary thing.
0: But is that reasonable to believe? Is that true, so to speak? I don't know. Well, I mean, it doesn't seem crazy. But it's... So again, on what rules are we basing the fact that if everything is contingent, there must be something necessary?
1: Well, I guess it's again um, presupposing, if you will, if you think it's a presupposition, that an infinite regress is either bad or impossible.
0: Okay, so we're still basing this on this idea again that it's bad of the yeah. regresses. Let, let's
1: stick with impossibility, I guess, because that sounds more logical.
0: Well, again, bad because that was the Greeks, right? Okay, the infinite is bad, and mm-hmm. so that's. But that's not the case. You're saying is not possible. That's what
1: maybe someone like Aquinas would say, is that the infinite isn't possible. It's not reasonable. It's not perfectly rational. Mm. Do you agree with that? At the very least, I don't immediately disagree with it. It it seems like within the framework of rationality, there are these relationships between the necessary and the contingent. So it's like,
0: okay, maybe Mm. that works. To borrow from Chalmers, okay, the idea that we can think of infinite doesn't necessarily that we can imagine that. If I tell, think about something infinite, the fact that you can think of it doesn't already tell us that.
1: It tells us. It doesn't tell us it's possible. It tells us that it's not impossible. Well,
0: does it doesn't tell us that it's rational, though, to think so. Right? It's, it's logical. Not irrational. It's yeah.
1: logical to think that.
0: Huh. So why should we um, think any differently?
1: That's a good point, I mean, there's the somewhat Hegelian idea that Mm -hmm. the idea of uh, an end or of a limit can only be had on the basis of there being an unlimited. Unlimited, right? Yeah. So So that's okay. So maybe we shuffle this one.
0: So that one, you know, that Mm -hmm. also might be problematic.
1: So we shuffle this one, but better than the first two, you would say.
0: Definitely. Okay. Definitely. And again, and I, and I, I don't want to give the impression that that again, once more, we're looking at uh, rational ways mm-hmm. of figuring out if yeah uh, if there is any rational grounding for the existence of God.
1: And on a side okay. note, I think maybe that's a common view you have. Of the, I think that's the third way. Um, I, I don't quote me on that, but Doctor Kogan, who was Jewish theologian, also said he thought that was the best proof. Okay. So that may be shared. Um, now, the, f- the very fifth one, I think, is an argument from design, which I think is probably the weakest. Yes. Uh, maybe. We can go to that. But the fourth one is gradations. Okay. Right? So he says that there's always a gradation of things. So, for example, something could always be better. Or worse,
0: don't know, For perfection, right? There must be a perfect
1: being. Yes, all the there needs there. to be something that's the maximal good in order for us to call things better or worse because there's always better or worse relative to that maximal good. We call that God. Okay. Uh,
0: I don't... I disagree with this. Uh, in general, not just for the argument of God. So some people would will use that argument in ethics as well sometimes right mm-hmm. well why is there bad in the world why does why do we have evil in the world or things like this and why do bad things happen or well that's necessary because otherwise we would not recognize the good either right uh-huh. there's this idea that in order for me to understand what's bad there must be something well, in order to understand what's good, it must be something bad, and I think that which is also a Hegelian thing again. Yes. Okay. Which I think that in this case, at least, um, this argument works on that, right? On this, and he puts it to the to this maximum strength. He says, well, you know, there is gradation of things. There is mud, which is the lowest thing, and then there's mm-hmm. something a little bit better, and a little bit better, and a little bit better, and then we get to to God, which is the the the, the supreme good. The issue there is. I don't think that that's the case. I think that you can appreciate and understand things without them being into a scale. This idea of the scale is kind of silly. Hmm. I always make this example. Um, Think of food, right? You eat something, you like something to eat, right? If I tell you, "Oh, does that pasta that we had before, does it taste good? Mm -hmm. You would say, for example, yes, let's assume you liked it. Say, yes, it's good. But to say that, you don't need to have tasted something horrible, right? Mm. I always make the example. You need to taste poop in order to say <laughs> that something tastes good, right?
1: Okay, so you don't need to experience the absolutes.
0: No, and I don't think I don't need, I don't even think that you need to experience something that's the opposite of
1: that. But but don't you need an idea of it?
0: I'm not sure. I don't think so. Mm. I I don't know about you. Do you do you find yourself like?
1: So I am a little conflicted here because I don't know how I would respond to the scale or food example because I understand where you're coming from. I do believe firmly that we only recognize things in relation to their negations. Okay. So I think you can only know something is something because it's not the thing that it's
0: not who was it, Empedocles, the guy that was like, you know the things because they're different?
1: I mean, I I even see this just like in the law of identity and non-contradiction in Aristotle. I see this relationship working. Um, Are
0: you saying in a sense, in a way that, you know, in order for you to recognize like a a figure, a mm. picture, it needs to be different from its background in this sense, that you need a difference?
1: Well, I mean that, Okay, so I'm looking at this cup, right? And I know it's a cup because it's not a not cup.
0: Okay, so it's not a table, it's not a... It's uh, not
1: everything but a cup. And I'm I'm wondering if this is related to this issue at all.
0: It might might be. It might, yeah, I'm not sure. It might be. But do you really believe that you are able to identify this just because it's not something else? Yeah,
1: I think difference is part of identity. Okay. But I mean, I don't know if difference comes into play with Aquinas because it's not that he's saying God must exist because there's a maximal bad. He's saying God must exist because we call things good. Mm -mm. Well, I guess it's still negative in the sense that it's never the maximal good, so it's not God, and that's how we recognize things. One thing I thought you were going to say is, okay, maybe we can admit of a maximal good, perfection,
0: but why does it have to be God? Uh, which is another issue, definitely, right? Um, and again, if we're borrowing the same argument, the, way, the same way we used the argument before to kind of brush that off, right? Because we have the possibility of thinking about perfection somehow, mm-hmm. right? We can, we should, yeah it's possible it's there, right, but I was wondering well, and maybe that's a discussion for later the fact that we can think that God exists right that we can imagine that oh, right God, right doesn't make it possible or rational right yeah it's it, certainly because we possible if we're using that argument right yeah, technically, why not if that's it's true possible. but this this last proof from from Aquinas it's also a difficult one, and I think that again this idea of perfection so perfections coming up and up and up until you get to perfection. Um, in a sense, if there was a perfect being, uh, maybe that could be God. Maybe. The problem is, though, this perfection, um, what can we say, implies consciousness because mm. we... I think Anselm would say yes. <laughs> well, yeah, sure, of course, because it's better to be conscious than not to be conscious. Yes, but is that true, though?
1: So I so when I was in, an undergrad, and I first learned the ontological argument, I questioned the same
0: thing. I was like, well, why does that mean better? And well, but the ontological argument is existing is better than not existing. Yeah. But being conscious versus not being conscious is different, though.
1: Yeah, I guess it is different, but in my head, I was lumping it in with it. Right? Okay. Because if it's an all-powerful being, you would have to have all of these qualities. Consciousness is one of them. But I can see how it's
0: distinct. And I'm wondering, though, would we be okay in saying that, okay, well, all we can say is, and we can call that God if you want, mm-hmm. there is some powerful creative being mm-hmm. that exists that is this perfect being somewhat but this perfect being is not necessarily conscious it can be just this blind force could be sexy atheism right <laughs> I would agree that I think I was thinking of schopenhauer specifically you know? okay and uh, the, this will that oh the like, will that's okay. kind of creating this but it's so then we're all kind of gods yeah um
1: no i think that's interesting and i think there is a metaphorical case to be made that genesis is uh an allegory for self-creating things Mm -hmm. but i would agree if i had to say something that in order for anything to be there has to be something transcendent yeah that I, I'm not sure what that means. Maybe it's not a concrete transcendence. Maybe it's just conceptual, but I don't but know. But is it
0: a divine transcendence? I
1: don't know. What do you mean by divine?
0: Well, I think that that might be a good, a good discussion for next episode. We can continue this discussion on God. That sounds good. Uh, For next episode, maybe we can try to define divinity. We could
1: define divinity and maybe touch on the ontological argument. Maybe sure, that sounds good. Okay, see you
0: next time. See you guys.